never had the opportunity to meet, my name is Jess. We are so excited that you're here. And as Pastor Reagan said, we have been in a sermon series called Give. And this series, the, the big idea that we've been looking at is what does it look like for those of us who are disciples, who are the followers of Jesus, what does it look like for us to live a lifestyle that is marked by giving, by generosity? How many of you guys have been challenged this month about give? I know I have. There have been several messages that have been very challenging for me. And today I'm so just very honored and very humbled to come before you today. And I feel like the Lord is in this place. Man, worship was awesome. And I believe that the Lord is gonna do something really special in our time. Today we're going to be looking at how can we be generous with our forgiveness. Today we're gonna be talking about forgiveness. Here's what I'm gonna go ahead and tell you. I know your temptation right now because I too have been in a chair looking at someone telling me we're gonna talk about forgiveness. And I know we have one of two things that like to come across our head. Number one, either we don't wanna deal with this specific topic, so we're like, oh great, I came on the forgiveness day. Or the other end is we're like, oh, I'm good. Like, I'm totally fine. And that may be the case, but here's what I'm gonna ask you. I'm gonna ask either way, I'm gonna ask that you really dig deep You ask the Lord to reveal whatever is in your heart. He's faithful to do it. And I believe that the Lord today can provide freedom in your heart. How many of you guys are excited about freedom? Yeah, okay. Well, today my message is titled, The Flow of Forgiveness. Before we jump in, let's go ahead and pray. Well, Lord, we love you so much. What an incredible morning it's already been, Lord, just to glorify you, to magnify you, to worship you, God. There is nothing better And so today, Lord, I just ask that the rest of this time will continue to be worshiped to you, Jesus. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that your word is alive and is active. I thank you that it is sharper than a two-edged sword. I thank you that it lays open our heart and it exposes our attitudes, our beliefs, our postures. And Lord, I thank you that it's not to shame us, God, but to bring us freedom. So Lord, we just go ahead and pray from the beginning that you can have access into every single part of our heart. God, I thank you that your word, it challenges us. God, and I pray today that the word would go forth, it would bring fruit in our lives, God. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Okay, well, I have a question before, before we jump in. I have, I have a little bit of a question for you. How many of you in here, now listen, nine o'clock service, they were a little shy about this. Y'all don't be shy about this. How many of you sitting in this room, you would say, I am a go with the flow kind of person. I'm easygoing. I can, I just flexible, whatever you want. Raise them high. People are like, I don't know. I don't know. Are we scared that people around us are like, you better put your hand down. No, raise them high. Let me see them. Let me see everybody. That's so good. Well, here's the thing. After service, can we meet? Because I need you to teach me your ways. Because I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that I am not. I don't know if that's a shocker to you, but I am definitely not go with the flow. In fact, that could not be more opposite. I, For me, I like to know what's coming, okay? I like to be prepared. I like to know what I'm getting myself into. I want to know how things are going to work. What's that going to look like? I ask a lot of questions. And I've always really been like this. Always, I don't think my mom would describe me as a go with the flow kind of kid. Um, in fact, when I was getting ready for this, for whatever reason, the, these memories popped up in my head. And this is just to sh- tell you like a little bit more, just expose who, how I am, especially as a child. Praise the Lord for my mom. She's here today. But um, 
when I was growing up, I was so not go with the flow that my mom would lie to me about when doctor's appointments were going to happen that specifically meant that you were going to get shots, pricks on the finger, whatever, because I was terrified of it. And I, I, for whatever reason, I had this memory of, like, asking people, like, going to the doctor's office and being, like, in the room with other people trying to go see doctors. So we weren't even, like, with actual medical professionals. We were just, like, in a room with other people and asking people, like, how, how bad is it going to feel when I get this shot? And people being like, ah, uh, like, who's this little girl is this, you know? And I remember asking this lady one time to show me with her fingernails what it would feel like when the shot happens, like to pinch me. And I'm pretty sure she was like, I don't know that I can. I'm like, do it harder. Use your nails. I know that's not what it's going to feel like. So I don't know if that just gives you some sort of insight into me. That's how I am. I definitely wouldn't classify myself as go with the flow. And as you can imagine, my, you know, teenage years probably weren't like that. Even in my Christian life, loving Jesus, I can't necessarily say that I've always been super go with the flow. You can ask people who've been in my life who have mentored me for a very long time. Joy could probably tell you that. I, I just, I'm always like, how does this work? And why are we doing that? And just like a lot of questions, like I just need to know. And especially in my walk with God, because, you know, I got saved at pretty, uh, pretty much an early age. It was like nine or ten. And I, we would learn all these concepts, right? We'd go and I'd go into Sunday school, and I would sit there with the flannel graphs, and I loved them. And, you know, I, we would learn about love. You're supposed to love everybody. And I'm like, okay, love. Okay, grace. We're show, grace to everybody. Like, okay, grace. You know, like, we have to be kind. You know, like, all these things. And I just kind of use it as, like, I, like, I guess I'll get out my notepad and write down yet another thing I'm supposed to do. Like, okay, can you go slower? Love. Okay. Um, and that's kind of how I approached my Christian walk. And it really wasn't until I was a little later in life that I realized there's actually a flow to our relationship with Jesus. There's this flow that, that God has in his kingdom that we're called to kind of be a part of. And it wasn't until I kind of got this revelation that things kind of came into focus for me a little bit. Specifically, I remember I, was, I, was, I went and did an internship. I moved to Colorado for a year, and one of the classes that we were taking was in, at a church, and one of the pastors was teaching. He was teaching on this idea of the kingdom of God and what it was like, and I remember him reading this scripture that I'm actually gonna read, and for whatever reason, it wasn't like he said something crazy. It just hit me like, oh, like, this is what we're doing in our Christian life. And it was like up until then, it was just like a bunch of things I just needed to do, like a bunch of tasks, a list of things that we needed to be doing. And the scriptures in Colossians, it's one, chapter one, 13 through 14. And Paul writes, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Let's leave that up there for a minute because sometimes I think what happens is when we're reading the Bible, we can just so quickly just flip through things and we're not really taking the opportunity to really understand what is he saying there. And actually, this, this passage right here is so full of goodness. In fact, he begins, Paul says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. The reality is, is that God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, we could literally leave right now after I said that and it would be a good Sunday. Like that's something to be grateful for. That's something to thank God about. The fact that he's, he's rescued us. And it's funny because that, that word rescued in the Greek actually would have been more, the more real translation would have been to snatch up. 
So if I were to paint a picture for you, if those of you who are parents, it's like, you know, when you're getting your kid out of the car and you're trying to get other things or another kid out of the car and there's the road and all of a sudden this kid just starts dashing to the road. What is your first instinct as a parent? You snatch that kid up, right? You bring it close to you. You're like, no, 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 don't go in the road. This is the picture of what God does for us, that he literally snatched us up from the kingdom of darkness. And he, not only did he just snatch us up, just to kind of, we're not just like floating around, but he actually brought us into something, which is the kingdom of the son he loves. And he does this, it says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And it's interesting that when Paul speaks about Christ and of his kingdom, one of the first things he says is that this kingdom is about forgiveness. And not only is it about forgiveness, it is about being brought into the kingdom of the son whom he loves, Jesus. And you know, the reality is, is that all of us, if, if we're believers and we've asked Jesus to come into our heart, we are all now a part of this kingdom of God. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And in fact, if that's true, which it is, then our Christian walk is all about integrating into the kingdom of God. Okay, let me put it to you this way. If you are going to decide, let's just say you decided that tomorrow you are going to move to, out of America into Peru. Let's just, Peru is where you're going to go. And you move to Peru. Guess what one of the first things that you're going to do when you move to Peru, okay? One of the first things that you're going to do is you're going to try to start integrating into the culture. And the way that you do that is you have to learn the culture the value systems, the language, are things that you have to learn so that you can integrate into that culture. Well, it's the same way in the kingdom of God. When we have been saved and we have been placed into his kingdom, now it's our responsibility to integrate into it. And that means that we have to figure out who is God, what is he like, what does he think, what are his values, what is his language. And the reality is, is that his language is forgiveness. Forgiveness is a huge part of his kingdom. It really is. And Jesus, because we are in his kingdom, he then becomes our model, doesn't he? If we want to know what his kingdom is like, we, all we need to do is look at him. We need to look at what he does. What does he talk about? Who is he with? What is he doing? And in Matthew 6, I love this because Jesus is about to preach. Well, he's in the middle of preaching his probably his greatest sermon ever. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We're going to be looking at chapter 6. And he's got his disciples around and those who are gathering, and he's teaching them, and he's teaching them the culture and the values of his kingdom. If you go through the Sermon on the Mount, there's lots of different topics that he's covering. I want to jump in to, to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 9 through 15. And so Jesus begins to teach them, and this is what he says. This, then, is how you should pray. Okay, so he's teaching them about how to pray. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. It's very interesting because Jesus, he's telling us how to pray. And the only topic that he comes back to is this idea of forgiveness. 
And I don't think it's because it's more important than any other thing. I think it's because he knows this is not intuitive for us. He's making sure that we really understand what his kingdom is like. And here, in this passage where Jesus is teaching his disciples, the crowd of followers, he's teaching them what his kingdom is like, he sets us up for the fact that there is a flow to forgiveness. Okay? Because number one, he says that the first flow of forgiveness, the first aspect of the flow of forgiveness is that it is vertical. Okay? Before we can talk about forgiveness and us forgiving one another, we have to talk about the first flow of forgiveness is actually a vertical one. It is us understanding that we are forgiven by God, right? It's this need, we, we have this need to understand this. And, and you know, in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, Impure is from all unrighteousness. In Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And literally sin here, that Greek word is actually to miss the mark. It's an archery term. So we've all missed the mark. Guess what? You're in good company because we all have. So you don't even have to worry about whether or not you have or haven't. You, you have missed the mark and I have missed the mark and here we are. And Jesus is teaching us that the first flow is understanding that this, there is a vertical flow to forgiveness and it begins with us understanding that we are first and foremost forgiven by him. The reality is, is that you and I, before Jesus, we were dead in our sin. The wages of our sin is death. That is what we deserve. And Jesus, who is so compassionate towards us, He sends his son to die on a cross so that we may have relationship with him. And and as we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So the first flow of forgiveness is this vertical one. It's very important for us to understand that if we're gonna talk about forgiveness and the fact that we should be forgiving other people, if we don't have this flow right in forgiveness, this will never happen. It really won't because the second flow to forgiveness, the second part of forgiveness is that it's horizontal. And here Jesus lays out for us and teaches us that vertical forgiveness and horizontal forgiveness are connected. You cannot separate them. In fact, when he's teaching us how to pray, he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. These are not two different sentences. It's one complete thought and he's saying, Forgive us as we're forgiving other people. And literally, he's teaching us what this flow is, that forgiveness is all about giving to others what God has given to us. And as disciples, as people who follow Jesus, forgiveness doesn't just flow to us, it flows through us. He's teaching us what this flow should look like, right? That as we have been forgiven, then what we do is we flow forgiveness to others, And not only is this like the flow of it, but this is a daily flow because this prayer that Jesus is teaching us, this isn't a once a year prayer. It's not a quarterly prayer. It's not an every three day prayer. He's setting this up. This is a daily prayer. And what he's telling us right here is that the need for forgiveness is daily. And we already know that because Jesus tells us that the offenses are gonna come. They're gonna come. The reality is, is that the, the tendency for you and I to be hurt to be betrayed, um, to need to forgive is so great that Jesus is already setting us up when he's teaching us that you need to do this every day. 
The flow of forgiveness needs to be operating in your life every day. It is understanding that I am forgiven and then I forgive others. That is the flow. But the reality is, is that this is really difficult, isn't it? This is a lot easier said in theory than it is put in practice. And you know, as someone, you know, part of my job here is I, I meet with a lot of people. I have a, the really, the privilege really of meeting with you guys and I get coffee with you and lunch with you and we get dinners together. And I will say this, in most of the op- times that I had the opportunity to meet with other people, I would say eight times out of 10, forgiveness is usually the root issue we're dealing with when I'm talking to people. At first, it doesn't seem like that, right? Because we say, like, it's all these other things. And as you kind of get down to the heart of it, the root of it is that there's a level of unforgiveness. And it's really difficult, but we have to go after it because every single one of us have been hurt. I don't even have to ask you. I know because humanity is complex and broken and we hurt other people. I hurt people. You hurt people, so I know you're hurt because we're all in relationship together. And so it's complex, right? And for some of us, and and, and I do want to say this before we just keep going. For some of us, I definitely don't want to be flippant in when we're talking about what we're talking about because I know that for some of us who are sitting in this room, when we're talking about forgiveness, the thing that you need to forgive is a very, very horrific thing. There There are times when there's abuse that happens when betrayal of the uttermost happens and it literally feels like we are broken inside. And this is when forgiveness sounds a lot better when we talk about it than it is when I have to put it into practice. And yet, Jesus is very clear to us from his word that in his kingdom, unforgiveness is not an option. In fact, he tells us that we must forgive in every circumstance and in every situation. And so we live in this tension because we know the propensity for us to hurt others. We know that people have hurt us. We know that we have to have this flow of forgiveness. And so here we are, we're all living in this tension. And we have to figure out what does this look like for me? And I will say this, I think sometimes for most of us, there are things that begin to block this flow of forgiveness in our life. And that's really what I wanna hone in on today. What are the things that are blocking this flow of forgiveness in our own lives? And I wanna go to a parable. It's in Matthew 18. We're gonna start in verse 21. And uh, it's a very interesting parable because this this parable, Jesus is actually, he's gonna tell a story, which he does most of the time. This is how he teaches, right? And he's gonna tell this story as a response to a question from one of his disciples. So we pick up in verse 21. It says, Then Peter, his disciple, came to him and said, Lord, how often shall I, my brother, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And I think it's very interesting to pause here because sometimes we just read past things really quickly. And I think we don't really have great context imagine Peter, I love Peter, I identify with Peter. I don't know if you do, I do, because I just can see, the, I can see the whole thing happening. He's like, he's coming up to him, he's probably like, yeah. You know, he's like, so Jesus, how many times should we forgive our, our brothers? You know, like when they sin against us, how many times? Seven? <laughs> and I'm sure when he did that, he kind of was like, look at me, I'm so generous, you know, with my forgiveness. 
And it's very interesting how Jesus responds because Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So Jesus immediately meets Peter at his seven number and multiplies it by a lot, okay? Because 70 times seven is 490. Now, here's the thing. The point of this right here is not the number, okay? Jesus is not saying, actually, it's 490 times. And once you've reached the 491st time, you do not have to forgive anymore. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is basically saying, you always have to forgive, In your earthly perspective, you think that there is a number that is justification to stop. And what I am telling you is that there is no such thing. And so he goes on and he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like. So he's going to tell us what the kingdom of heaven is like. It is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not. But he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved, and they came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called to him, he said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. I don't know about you, but this is not the kind of story that you just skip over. Because when I read this, my first thought is, this story is shocking. It, it is, it's absolutely shocking. It is shocking how seriously Jesus sees this idea of forgiveness. It's shocking. And Jesus is telling us here, with some hyperbole, okay, there's some exaggeration here, but what he's showing us is what unforgiveness looks like in his kingdom, okay? Now, we're, we're all called to integrate into the kingdom of God, so here we are, and Jesus is showing us, this is what unforgiveness looks like to me. Because to Peter, his earthly perspective looked like seven times would be, would be great. And what Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm going to take you to this 30,000 foot view, and I'm going to show you what it looks like to us, what it looks like to me. And what it looks like to them is that there is a, 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 a stopping of the flow of forgiveness vertically to horizontally. And when we read this story, we might understand the basics of what Jesus is saying, okay? Because we go to it knowing that he's trying to give us an example. So we kind of go to it with some basic understanding, right? That there is a king, so that must represent God, right? And then there's this servant who had a lot of debts. That must probably represent me and you. And so we, we kind of like, oh, okay, great. And then, you know, the master like forgave him and like, that's good. And then he didn't forgive, so like we should forgive. And then we like move on, Okay. And, and while that is the basic understanding of this, 
There is such a great part of this story in this punchline that Jesus is trying to make. And you know what it's found in? It's found in the currencies that he talks about, okay? Because Jesus uses these currencies of the talents and the denarii. And for you and me, we don't really understand what this is because here we are about 2,000 years later, we're reading this, we're a different part of the world. We don't use these currencies. And I think that if we don't really look at this, we will risk losing the whole entire perspective if we don't really understand what this meant, what it looked like, okay? So I'm gonna try my best to kind of bring some perspective to what Jesus is talking about in this parable. Now, I want to go ahead and warn you, whether or not you would like to, because you're sitting in this seat, you're about to enter into a math class, okay? And what is scary about this math class is that I should never teach you math. (laughs) I have a very hard time reading an analog clock still. Um, Also, change, I'm still unsure about. I try to pay in dollar bills. I just pretend like change doesn't exist. It's very tough for me. Um, But I had some help with some research, and I think that you and I are going to make it through. But because I want you to very clearly and visibly understand what Jesus is saying here, I have some slides that we're going to use that are going to help us, okay? Because in this story, we have two relationships, okay? I think, are we going to put it up there? There we go. Okay. So we have two relationships represented in this story. The first relationship is over here. We're going to start over here. This is the king and the servant, right? And we know this servant owes this king 10,000 talents. Now, we don't really quite understand what a talent is. We're gonna get there right now. But what you need to know is that seems like a lot, okay? And he owes him that, right? But then there's another relationship in this story, and it's the relationship over here. And it's the same servant, and yet there's another guy, and this guy owes the servant 100 denarii. Now, we don't really understand Inari yet either. We're going to get into that a little bit. But it's very important for you to understand that there are two relationship dynamics that are happening here. Jesus is setting this up perfectly for us to understand what forgiveness looks like to him. Okay? Now, we need to be able to translate what the value of this is because the currency gives us some perspective as to what Jesus is saying. Now, there's a lot of scholars who believe denarii and talents would have meant this, would have meant that, and we could do a lot of guessing, but one way we can get an estimated value of what this would have been like is to use this idea of one day's wage because we know that one denarius is one day's wage, okay? Sometimes in your Bible, this will be translated as a silver coin, Okay? We also know that one talent would have been 6,000 denarii, okay? So that's 6,000 days of work is one talent. So what would our modern equivalent of this be? So I did some research. Actually, somebody else did some research, and I took that research. So yay. Um, so in, two, in 2021, that's the year that we're all living, correct? Okay, in 2021, in the United States, the average daily wage is $154.64, okay? Now, this isn't necessarily, not everybody, some people's is higher, some are lower. This is the national average, okay? So because we have said that we can estimate this based on a day's wage, we're going to use the national daily average of the United States to get some perspective around what this would have been like, okay? So now we're gonna get into some math. So we now know that, okay, one talent is 6,000 denarii, okay. 
So one Daenerys is $154.64. We know that one talent is 6,000 denarii, which means that one talent would have been $927,840. That's a lot of money, okay? That's, that's a lot of money. I, I, don't, I don't even know if I fully said that right. I'm like, you start getting to those numbers, I've never said zeros like that, so I don't know. Um, I've never had a reason to. Um, so that's what we know, that one talent is about $900,000. That's insane. What makes this even more insane is that we know this guy owes 10000 of that. Okay, so that number would be $9,278,400,000. That would have been a modern-day equivalent of what this man owed. $9 billion. Now, I have so many questions here. Number one, how do you borrow $9 billion? Like, I'm like, how, who do we know where I can borrow $9 billion? Second of all, I want to know, how does he have $9 billion and he's still a servant? I'm like, something is not adding up right. I'm like, you're not spending your money wisely. Okay, the next thing I'm wanting to know is like, how do you pay back nine? It, make, it makes me sweat thinking like it's, your, it's borrowed money, okay? So this is a crazy amount of money, right? $9 billion, that's, that's insane. And guess what? It's exactly what Jesus is setting us up for in this story, okay? Because the intention of Jesus in this story is to let his disciples understand that we have a debt to God that we could never pay back. In this story, this is you and me, okay? When it comes to forgiveness, this is the debt that we owe to our God. Through sin, missing the mark, the fact that we were, we were dead in sin, that the wages of our sin is death, we owe an insurmountable amount to him. It's unreal. It's crazy, actually. And yet, what we find in this story is that the king had what? Compassion on him, and he forgave the debt. So Jesus is setting us up. And I love the servant's response. I don't know if you caught it, but he literally said to the master, in whom he owed $9 billion, I'll pay it back. Just give me some time. It's like, dude, no, you're not. Like, where, where are you at? Because we all know reading it that you're delusional. And guess what? We're in the same position because there is no good work, no religious act. We can never be good enough. We can never do enough things that would be able to pay back the debt that was given to us when his son died on the cross for our sins. This is why we needed a savior, because we couldn't pay it. This is why God sent his son, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. This is why we needed a savior, because we can't do anything with that. Now, we need to go over and pay some attention to this guy, okay? Because homeboy, who was forgiven of $9 billion, now comes over to his friend. And now he's like, you better give me what you owe me. So we know that in this story, that uh, we, he, he owes 100 denarii. And we already know that one denarius is $154.64, according to our modern terms, which would make the debt here $15,464, okay? 
This is the debt that this man owed him. And we see from the story that he's like, pay me back now. And he's like, wait a minute, I'll pay you back. And he's like, no, he's like choking him, right? He throws him into prison. He owed him $15,000. Now, it's very interesting. I don't know about you, but I wonder, why would Jesus pick (laughs) $15,000? Is this like random? And you know, the thing is, Jesus is not random. He's very intentional about everything he does. And it's not by accident that he owes $15,000 because guess what? $15,000 is a significant amount of money. How many of you in here, hands raised, could potentially afford to lose $15,000? If so, I'd like to be friends with you. (laughs) I'll take you to lunch. Um, You know what I'm saying? None of us are in a position to lose $15,000. The reality is, is Jesus is saying, this is significant. This, This debt right here, it is significant. And this relationship represents when we go out into the world and we hold unforgiveness. It's like we're holding on to the $15,000 that somebody else owes us. And you know, like, the reality is, is that maybe this is the situation that you're in. Maybe there has been an unbelievable hurt in your life. Maybe someone has betrayed you, someone has told a lie on you, someone has gossiped about you, and this is what is owed you. And so Jesus is showing us That the reality is, is that as long as you stay focused on the fact that they owe you $15,000, you will never remember the fact that you have been forgiven $9 billion. Because $15,000 is a lot of money until you compare it to $9 billion, and then it doesn't really seem like a whole lot of money, does it? $9 billion seems like a whole lot more money. And one of the greatest blocks to the flow of forgiveness in your life is incorrect perspective. Because Jesus, he is not saying that this amount over here was insignificant and small, right? He's not saying that our forgiveness, the the fact that we have to forgive someone is insignificant and small. That's not what he's saying. But what he is asking us to do is just take a few steps back because if we do that, and we see what is owed us, but we do it in the light of what we have been forgiven, it actually all becomes more in focus for us, doesn't it? Because the more that we look at 9 billion, the more eager we are to let go of 15,000. It's just the nature of us. And here's the thing. If I were the devil, which I am not, but if I was, you know what I would do? I would work overtime as hard as I could so that you would never see this and only see that. What I would do is, is that I would, you would get hurt, and what I would do is, is I would let you ruminate on it. I'd let you replay it. I'd let you talk about it with everybody else. I'd let you replay it in your mind all the time. I'd let you replay it, like, like just sit in that video and watch it, because the more you do that, the less you remember this. And that's what I would do if I were the devil. And the reality is, is that's what he's doing in our lives. When we're holding unforgiveness towards people, what we're doing is we are solely focusing on this and we forget all of this over here. But the reality is we've already established that the flow of forgiveness is first vertical and then horizontal. We cannot look at that without that. That's the problem. And you know, if I were the devil too, I would work really hard 
to get your eyes away from this. And the way that I would, I would break the flow of forgiveness in your life is I would use your own pride. Because the next thing that will block the flow of forgiveness in your life is pride. And a way that the enemy tries to take our eyes off of what God has done and how much he's given us is through pride. Pride kills forgiveness. Pride, what it will do is, is that it will start to get you thinking, no, there is no way that I owe $9 billion. I'm a good person. I do really great things. In fact, the other day, I bought somebody's drink behind me in the Starbucks line. And I was like, yeah. And it was like over $10. And then I picked up some trash and I was like nice to people and I did what I needed to do. And what happens is the pride in our life makes us not really think that this is significant. It actually starts to make us think like, no, there's no way. Cause I'm like, I'm a good person. Like I'm good. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, you're downplaying the fact that God had to send his son to die for your sins because you don't even recognize that you needed it. And this is why God hates pride. It's why he hates it. It's because pride will block our hearts so that we don't see our own need for forgiveness. Therefore, we will never forgive other people. And this is why as a church, as a collection of people who love Jesus and who are living for him, this is why we cannot not talk about sin. There are so many people in churches now who just, we we don't want to talk about sin because it makes people feel uncomfortable and whatever. And I'm not saying that we, we do it flippantly, but I am saying that when we talk about sin, what we're doing is we're beating the pride in our own life. We're beating it down and we're remembering how sinful our nature is and how we were forgiven the $9 billion. Because the reality is, is that, you know, all of us have been forgiven, right? And, and the pride in our life will make us start to think like, I'm good. Like, this is not, not any big deal. And the more I do that and the more I do that, the less I'm gonna forgive you. And so now I'm just walking around like, everybody owes me everything. Everybody's out to get me. I owe no one anything. I'm a victim always. Like, everybody's just hurting me. And the reality is, is that me realizing that I'm in the day, I daily need God's grace and I daily need his forgiveness. What that does is it helps me have a steady flow of forgiveness in my life because I'm constantly reminding myself of the nine billion that was erased from my debt account. And the last thing, the last thing that blocks the flow of forgiveness in our life is a misunderstanding of forgiveness all on its own. Because so many times when I'm meeting with people and others, I think, and we're talking about forgiveness, one of the greatest threats to our relationships and one of the greatest threats to the flow of forgiveness is the fact that most of us have made forgiveness a feeling. We're sitting around and we're waiting until we feel like it to forgive, right? We're waiting around until the stage is set 
They said the right thing. They apologized in these three ways. They said those three words. They specifically mentioned this, this, and this. And then they bowed before me four times and they kissed my hand. And now I'm like, okay, go. You may, I'm for, you're forgiven. This is what we do. And I know it's, we're, we're laughing, but it's, we do this. We do this in our lives. We, we literally are like, well, I don't, I don't feel like it right now, so... Maybe the feeling will come. Guess what? The feeling will probably never come. In my life, 99.9% of the people that I've ever had to forgive, I never felt like it first. (laughs) It was a decision because forgiveness is a decision. It is a choice that we make out of obedience to God. It is not a feeling. It is not an emotion. It really isn't. And oftentimes, I'm just gonna be just really honest with you, when I have had to make a decision to forgive, my feelings have kind of taken a long time to catch up. I have to consistently remind myself that I have forgiven them. I consistently have to lay it down because the enemy wants to bring all those things back up, right? The nature of us to want to replay it or somebody we see who knows them, they say something and all of a sudden we're stirred up and yet we're called to make a decision of forgiveness because the reality is is that Forgiveness doesn't always really seem fair, does it? It doesn't really seem fair that we have to do this. Like, why do we have to do this? You know, but God, he doesn't live in our realm of fairness here on the earth. We have this idea, this construct of what fairness is, and God does not, he's not in that, he's just. And we don't even understand his justice because we like to compare it to fairness, and they're very two different things. In fact, we love it, when God is, you know, is, is fair to us or just to us, but we hate it when he is with other people, right? We, it's like we want, we want him to give us grace and we want to go out and we want, to give, we want him to give justice to everybody. Like, just kill them all, you know, like wipe them out, you know? This person hurt me, like get rid of them, God, you know? That's what we like to, to do. But forgiveness is saying that I am canceling the debt you owe me. I recognize that is not contingent on you saying something to me. You don't have to ask for forgiveness. You don't have to come to me. You don't have to say anything. In fact, I'm realizing that as a child of God who lives in his kingdom, that my obedience is to decide to forgive. That's actually how we're called to live. Because if you don't, you know, it's funny, in, in meeting with people and seeing people kind of, you know, walk away from the faith a lot. I, I will say this, there is not one thing that I, I think that can destroy your life, has the potential to destroy your life more than unforgiveness and to destroy the lives of the people around you. Because the reality is, is that when we hold unforgiveness, it's not just us that suffers, everybody around us does too. Because we're, we're, we're harboring bitterness and, and, and hate. And people around us, they feel that. So we must decide ahead of time that we're going to be people who would forgive. Imagine what it would look like as disciples of Jesus if we went out from this place and we predetermined that we were gonna have the flow of forgiveness in our life so that when we go into our workplace and when we go into our families and when we're with our friends, we've already made a decision. I'm gonna forgive. It might not be easy, but I'm gonna forgive. Imagine what it would look like. We would probably look a lot like the church that God desires, isn't it? That's, that's his desire for us, is that we would predetermine to be people who forgive. 
And we're gonna close, I just ask you to stand with me. You know, the reality is, is that forgiveness is not easy. What is easy is bitterness. What is easy is rage. What is easy is anger. What is easy is hatred. What is easy is cutting people off. What is difficult is forgiveness. And yet this is what God has called us to do. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I start to think like, why does God even want me to do this? It seems mean, seems cruel. Why would he ask me to forgive that? They don't deserve it. You know what they did to me? It was horrible. I didn't deserve any of it. And you know what I would say to you? Is that God is asking you to forgive because he loves you. Because he loves you and he's, he's formed you and he knows, he knows all the right ways for you. He asks you to forgive because he knows that when you forgive, you actually start to heal. It's you that gets healing. And that is what God wants for you. He wants you to be healed and whole. That's what he wants. And so today, there's probably two, two people in here, okay? The first of us is, there are those of us in this room that if we were really honest, what we need to do today is forgive. And if you are waiting in this message to feel like, oh, now I feel it. She said that one word. We're, we're looking at it from the wrong perspective. Actually, today you have the choice to make a decision out of obedience to forgive. And I believe that as you make a decision that God will bring freedom into your life, that you would experience him in new ways, that the flow of forgiveness would be flowing in your life, that it would actually draw people to God because they see how you lived and how you've handled that situation. So for some of us, we need to forgive. The reality is, is that all we have to do in order to know if we need to forgive somebody is to look in here. Because if we're honest, most of us who need to forgive, we already know. And we're like, we don't wanna think about it and we don't wanna talk about it, we just kinda wanna stuff it down and like we wanna move on. And if you keep doing that, you will do that for the next however many years of your life. You will continuously push it down and push it down and you will live in bondage. That is not what God has for you. And I believe today that you can make a decision, a radical decision today to forgive them, even though they don't deserve it, even though they might not ever even recognize that they did it, but that you could release yourself from the prison of offense. And I was, I was praying for you guys and just kind of getting ready. I, I you know, was thinking of like, there's so many things in this room that you know, we could forgive. And I just kind of wrote some down as I was praying for you guys. I don't know if you're struggling with these, but maybe it's a friend who has gossiped about you and who has spread rumors and lies. Perhaps it's someone who has broken your heart or rejected you. In fact, they left. They didn't even explain why they left. They just did. Maybe it's a father whom you wanted their approval so bad and you never quite got it. Maybe it's a family member that keeps stirring up drama and causing division in your family and it's creating a lot of strife and a, just a lot of chaos. Maybe it's a parent, a cousin, a coach, an authority figure who was supposed to take care of you, who was supposed to protect you and instead abused their authority in your life. Maybe it's a spouse who has betrayed you and he's betrayed your trust to the most devastating parts and it feels impossible. Or maybe it's a boss who is cruel and mean and consistently overlooks you. Maybe it's someone who's talked down to you, been disrespectful to you, 
Maybe it's a spouse who has left. They decided they just didn't wanna be married anymore. Maybe it's a parent who has said something hurtful and really painful in your life. Maybe it's a child who has said something really hateful and painful in your life. Maybe it's a church member who's hurt you. And you, were, and you thought, man, they, they're, they're church people. How could they do that? Maybe that's what it is. Here's what I wanna say to you today. Your God loves you. He's so compassionate. And he forgave you all of your sins. And so how can we hold, in light of all that he's done, how can we hold that against other people? So today, maybe you need to pray and ask the Lord to help you to forgive, to start the process, because forgiveness is a decision and a process. It is something that you do in an instant and something that you walk through. And maybe you're sitting here and today you've actually, maybe for you, you've never really experienced this vertical flow of forgiveness and that you've never really you know, prayed and asked God to come into your heart. Let me tell you something, he loves you. It's not by accident that you're in this room. He is for you. And while you have missed the mark, join the club. He is so gracious to forgive you of your sins when you confess it and to bring you into his kingdom. Maybe that's the prayer that you need to pray today. And if that is, I would love to see you down here after service. I would love to be able to pray with you. But I'm gonna pray for those of us in this room that we, we, what we really need to do is we need to forgive someone. So will you join me? Let's pray. Well, Lord, we love you, God. You are so good. You are so kind and compassionate, rich in love, slow to anger. God, I thank you that your word says that while we were yet sinners, you demonstrated your love for us and that you sent your son to die on a cross for us. God, we thank you for what you've done. It is a debt we could never repay. And God, we are so thankful. We love you. And Lord, I pray for everyone who's in this room, God, where maybe there are some things that in our life, either from an incorrect perspective or maybe the pride in our life or maybe even misunderstanding what forgiveness is, we have blocked this flow that's vertical first horizontally and there are some people represented in this room that we need to forgive. God, I pray that you would be faithful to help us walk it out, to be able to make a decision in an instant, and to be able to walk out that process with you and in community. So Lord, I pray right now that you would speak to their hearts. God, I pray that you would show them. Maybe it's a face, maybe it's a name right now that you would show them. And I pray that they would be diligent to repent for holding unforgiveness and to forgive that person, to actually release the debt. And if that's you and you need to forgive someone, then you need to say that. You need to say, like, I release it. I release that debt. They don't owe me that. It's taken care of under the blood. And Lord, I pray right now that as we have released this unforgiveness, God, that you would come in. God, that you would show us how to walk this out. God, that you would put people in our lives who could walk this out with us, Jesus. And Lord, that you'd be faithful in this process. God, I thank you that you love us. And God, when you ask us to forgive, it is because you have us in mind for our healing and to be whole. So Lord, I pray for everybody in this room, God, that you would be with them, touch them, God, as they walk this out. We love you. You are so good. In Jesus' name, amen.